This week on a lively experiment, a looming $200 million deficit has state lawmakers with some big decisions to make. And legalizing pot in Rhode Island is 2019 the year. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us this week, Dave Lehman, corporate communications strategist and former television anchor. Brown University political science professor Wendy Schiller, Maureen Moakley, political science professor at the University of Rhode Island, and the public's radio political reporter, Ian Donis. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jim Hummel. With the 2019 General Assembly session just around the corner, Governor Gina Raimondo and legislative leaders already have a lot on their plate. A gaping budget hole with questions of how to pay for a continued car tax phase-out and taxpayer-funded tuition for college students, plus the question of whether to legalize recreational marijuana. Ian, you had a parade of people in at the Publix Radio this week. You had, actually, Speaker Mattiello, uh, Senate President Dominic Ruggiero, and the governor. So what is on their mind going into 2019? Well, I think, obviously, the combined $200 million deficit for the current and next fiscal year is a major issue facing the state. Uh, Speaker Mattiello and Senate President Ruggiero kind of downplay the seriousness of this. Governor Raimondo argues that she has put the state on a stronger long-term footing and made the economy more resilient. But the fact is, uh, it's been a really long time since the state has entered a new year without a fresh deficit. And if there's that kind of deficit now, when unemployment is very low and revenue has been up, that is not a good signal for the state. It points to the underlying weakness in Rhode Island's economy, and there's going to be a lot of needs chasing few dollars when push comes to shove on the budget. Uh, the only thing I would say is that $200 million is sort of has been standard for, you know, at least $200 million for the past few years. Now, it may not be ideal because it points up underlying, you know, structural deficits, but it's not a lot of money in terms of dealing with this as we go along. And the big thing, I think, to remember is that the car tax is, they're going to keep the car tax. So they're lowering taxes in that regard. And there are these huge uh, problems that are emerging, the opioid crisis, for example. And so um, it's not great. But I don't think it's uh, startling. But these deficits undercut the state's ability to make investments in the future economy. Governor Raimondo has emphasized some of that. She's gotten most of what she wanted through the legislature, but it does limit the state's ability to make investments that could strengthen the economy. Well, they, ha they have to cut spending. I mean, they have to cut spending. And I think that's the big issue for the state. It just keeps going up and up and up. And Rhode Islanders are asking, what are we getting that's new? What are we getting more of? You know, there's the Promise program. There's a car tax reduction. But that's not enough to justify what will soon be a $10 billion budget for a state that has, you know, a million-ish people. Nebraska has the same population size. They're half of our budget, half the size of the budget. So something's got to give, and I think spending's got to give. I think she's already indicated that, for example, the Promise program is not going to go this year. Yeah. I mean, she's that's you mean done. to extend it to extend it. Yeah, that's not happening. They, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that that's probably going to be uh, left on the on the floor after the budget cutting is done. Uh, 
Um, I think this also points to the fact that when you have a state with, uh, with a lot of social needs, uh, and having worked at the Department of Behavioral Health Care at one point, when you sit there uh, as a former journalist and you see all of this need out there, and you think, this is overwhelming, and, and these needs have to be met because these people live here. That's where, you know, our population mix is really tough, especially if you're a small state. You can get along if you're California, if you're Texas, because you've got a lot more leeway, even though, you know, you've, you've got a, a much bigger budget, you've got, you've got bigger territory and all that. But because we don't really have economies of scale because we are so small and still have a, a lot of people here, uh, I think the immigration issue uh, uh, hurts us in some ways. And I don't mean that as a knock on immigration, just it's the fact that it just builds our, uh, onto our overall accountability that we need to take care of people. Wendy, you make a great point. I had done a story a year ago about how much the legislature spends on itself, and they kind of do a little shell game with unfilled positions, and they give the money back. My calculation was over the previous 10 years, the state budget went up 30%. Over the last 15 years, 70%. It's just unsustainable. It's unsustainable. And I think every division has to get cut. I think every, you know, the governor wants to hire new PR people and expand in her staff, which I kind of wonder why she needs that at the moment, uh, particularly coming off a very successful campaign. And uh, all across the board, and you're right, you know, you want to be a welcoming state because people, immigrants regenerate, they're small business owners, they really move the economy. But you also have to not be a place that becomes a magnet for everybody who wants generous Medicaid or generous other kinds of benefits. So we have to have a balance, and I think that's tough. That's a hard debate. So whether they're going to be willing to take that up, but sooner or later that clash is going to come between the sort of higher Rhode Island taxpayer and the people who are receiving the benefits. I so looked you wanna, up, you know, you want to look at that. I looked up the figure uh, this past week to satisfy my own curiosity, and Rhode Island's budget over the last ten years has gone up by three and a half billion dollars. That's a huge. You wonder where that money, where that money's coming from. Well, go ahead. And a lot of that is federal dollars, but and it does go to social needs, as Dave said. A lot of it is from Medicaid, Medicare, partially federally funded programs. But I think Wendy's right that there's got to be a microscope on state spending because the state arguably cannot sustain that level of growth. What about, uh, what did uh, they each say about the car tax phase out? Do you think that's, I mean, I know that's the speaker's baby, but what, did each talk about that? Or that no? is the speaker's baby, so it's you can bet your boots <laughs> it's going to be in the budget. Not, yeah. That's not going. And it's good. It's We're cutting taxes for people that need some relief. That's a good program. That's a place where we can, you know, we should be cutting. But you, right. But it's good that it's phased in because you can argue that somebody who buys a $50,000 car can probably afford some sort of car tax. It's the people who are really working, the people who are buying used cars for less than $5,000, less than $10,000, where proportionally it really hits them. So I think that's an argument that can be made. And I think Ruggiero might come up with that argument or the governor might come up with that argument. And I think people who can are at very high income levels will be willing to pay some of that car tax if necessary. But it hits a budget at about $90, $90 million, $95 million this year. And ultimately 200 over the life of it because of what, a six-year phase in? That's right. But so we are cutting taxes. And it is affecting people. Most of it is affecting people that need the break. And the other thing, I mean, the other option is uh, what about raising taxes on the wealthy? You know, I, I never like to give, federal or state, I never like to give governments a blank check. Let's just raise taxes on people who make a no, lot of money and send it to the city. No, you are saying that. You're what, saying you what, want to raise taxes on the wealthy. Where's could the money going to go? Could we think about that? Well, I don't think we should. Enough? I don't think you want to raise taxes generally and give the state more license to spend more money. I think you have to demand that they start really reining it in, and that will be pain for everybody, and we don't want the poor to be hurt. So in that sense, 
maybe wealthier middle class people won't get as many benefits from the state budget, which I would agree with. But I don't think soaking up more money from the taxpayer and just giving it to the state is going to solve this budget growth problem. Well, the reality of it is, if we go through the anticipated recession, uh, these choices are going to be made. You don't, you won't have a choice. Yeah, I mean, you see the stock market down precipitously, and people are saying. The stock market is not always an indicator of the economy. It plays off various things. But really, if that's coming a year from now, and Ian, you made the point, if we're in good times now, where are we going to be if it hits? Yeah. Right, exactly. And, you know, revenue usually slumps during, during an economic downturn. So the kind of budget issues that we see now will be exacerbated if there is a recession. To the point about the tax issue, I think with a larger progressive caucus, there will be lawmakers in 2019 who will make the argument that Maureen's making that there should be higher taxes for the rich. But I think you will see legislative leaders and Governor Raimondo push back against that and suggest that tax increases are not a good optic for Rhode Island. Right. Let, let me ask you a question. I, I'll throw this out to you guys because I don't really have the answer. If you have Dominic Ruggiero, the Senate president, if this is going to be, if it's going to be his last term, and I think he said that it would be, and if Nick Mattiello is going to, this is going to be his last term, and Gina Raimondo, of course, is going to be term limited and all that, all of these people are going to be in search of their legacy, what they contributed, how they will be remembered. Does that also play into the fact that they're not going to want to do a lot of cutting because a lot of these, like the, you know, with Mattiello, the car tax, is something that he feels very strongly about. Well, you Speaker Mattiello has said that he wants to remain in office until the yeah, phase-out is completed, and that mm -hmm. would mean one more additional two-year term as Speaker starting in 2021 mm -hmm. if he sticks to his plans. Almost as long as Tom Brady is going to continue playing quarterback <laughs> for the... Uh, well, you, that's a great thing, mm -hmm. and I, so I don't know. I also think this might be the year because it's not an election year. This is not the, you know, two years from now it's going to be, or a year from now they're going to be into another budget cycle. Maybe this is the year to make the tough decisions because they're not up for re-election right away. And the other thing to watch is our job growth. So Gina Raimondo has brought, with the, assembly, with the policies that the state has produced, and, and her leadership brought in a lot of jobs, but those jobs in some part depend on capital and funding and venture uh, capitalists and stock market uh, success. So you worry a little bit about the fragility of those newer jobs and those newer startup businesses that have come to Rhode Island because if the stock market tanks and people pull back on investment, that's going to hurt them too. So it's going to limit our growth. A related point to what Wendy is saying too, there's been a lot of debate obviously about the Fane Tower proposal in Providence. And if there is a recession, that could dry up the kind of capital that is necessary to fund that kind of proposal. Uh, even if only temporarily. Maureen, this is the first uh, time we've had this panel on since the, uh, the legalized marijuana recreational in Massachusetts. They did $2.2 million over the first five days. I joke that it's a new, gives new meaning to Black Friday. Everybody went out and, you know, got a joint. Um, <laughs> I wonder, we've had various panels over the last couple of weeks have said, I don't think we're going to see it next year. But I also know you're talking about that revenue knocking on the door. I actually think it's doable, and I think we should try to do it. You know, we have to be careful, but do it. Try to get it done this year, because um, you know we talk about the problems in Massachusetts, and they were not prepared. We've been thinking about this and talking about this for years, but a lot of it was like traffic jams. I mean, you know, it was that. Those are easily solvable problems. We can learn from that. And the other thing is, there's the revenue. It's inevitable. It's going to happen, you know, so what, let's try to figure it out. And the other thing I thought about the other day is you have legalized marijuana all around us, all right, and it's criminal here. 
So you're not, you know, you're, what you're doing is you're trapping some young people into the, you know, into criminal behavior uh, when, you know, they, if they're in Massachusetts, it's not. And so I really think we really have to move on this. It's inevitable. We can think it through. We have some examples from other states. And I think, you know, I, I, it may be that they'll drag their feet, but there is the revenue, and I think it's a doable, inevitable thing. My theory is they will do it this year, and if they don't, they will use this year to prepare the Rhode Island public for a vote next year. You think I don't they're going to put it up to a vote? They won't put it up to a vote. What do you think, Wes? I, I mixed feelings about this. I think trying to make money off of people's habits, whether it's gambling, whether it's drinking or smoking and or using marijuana, you know, yes, you make a lot of money, but are you also, you know, encouraging this behavior? And you can say that people use marijuana and it's not a gateway drug, but you're, nobody's 100% sure about that. Well, and alcohol. I mean, no, you know, I know, but it doesn't, ma- do? doesn't matter. That's, uh, just because we, do, we let people drink and they drink and drive and we tax alcohol doesn't mean we should then also make marijuana a staple of people's lives as well without penalty. I agree that it puts us at a competitive disadvantage, but I think it's, it's something we have to really think about. About. We are a small straight state, and, and if you're going to be worried about the opioid crisis, you have to think about sort of is there the evidence that this would not increase marijuana use, particularly among young people? I don't know. With Connecticut moving ahead with legalization, Rhode Island could face a situation where we have the social costs of mar- heightened marijuana use without the increased revenue. That's a good point. At the same mm-hmm. time, I would be surprised if the state approves marijuana legalization in 2019. I think it's more likely that we will move closer toward preparing for it. Governor Raimondo told me this week she's more open to legalization than she has been in the past due to how Connecticut and Massachusetts are, are have legalized marijuana or are moving ahead with it. So I think we're moving in that direction, but I don't think 2019 is going to be the year. If the money could be earmarked for mental health treatment, depression treatment, medical treatment, um, uh, you know, then I think you would get more support for it. So listen, every dollar we make is going to go towards the opiate crisis or heroin or other addictions so that we can study addictive behavior and be balanced. I think Rhode Islanders would support it. Yeah, yeah. but they, I mean, they talked about that with the tobacco money and they, you well, know, they frittered it away. That's right. Exactly. You have to stick to it. They don't I like know. earmarks at the yeah. General Assembly. I know apparently. they don't like mm-hmm. earmarks, and generally earmarks are not a good thing. I mean, generally <laughs> speaking, in legislative politics. But the thing is, I would agree with this. If you, one of the big expenses we have is the opioid right. crisis. Mm-hmm. So if you could take that money and earmark it for those kinds of studies and services, that might be a better sell and actually better for the community. So uh, sports betting is now legal since we've last met. Uh, The Senate president and a few others, Dave, are talking about uh, being able to just do it on your phone yeah. and not having to go. Mm-hmm. Some people worry then that kind of crosses into the line if it's that easy. I, I don't know where that line is in terms of problem gambling. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far, but he seems to think that's a great idea. What do you think? Well, I, I've, I, I guess I've kind of come uh, 180 on, on this whole thing. Uh, I'm, I'm opposed to drugs. I'm opposed, I'm opposed to a lot of this stuff, gambling it's especially. But the reality of it, it, it is here, and you, you, you can't unwind the clock. It, it is there, and my feeling is if you, can, if you can go to Twin Rivers, if you can go to the Tiverton Casino and all that, then, then it should be okay. I mean, you know, uh, you're, you're really parsing your words, I think, when you, when you get into this, this minutia about what gambling is okay and what's not. I think there's, there's a great opportunity there for more people to become addicted. We've got 18,000 people in the state that are addicted to, uh, uh, to some form of, of drugs or alcohol, I think. 
Uh, and one of the arguments that they make is, those who are opposed to this, they say, well, we should be doing not spending $125,000 a year for those who, who are addicted. We should be, I mean, in terms of uh, discouraging it, we ought to be spending $3 million. That is supposedly the way it's supposed to be figured. You ought to be spending $3 million. We're not anywhere near that. So I think if you're going to allow this, you need to increase the budget for that in order to help people who do have a problem. My concern is twofold. One, first of all, there's a legal question. How far you stretch what the original legislation mm -hmm. was and whether you can apply that. And right, and that wasn't even approved. That yeah. was a question as to whether it right. should have gone on the ballot. Right. I think maybe and that ship has that, And that's it. And so as they push that boundary of that interpretation, that's one issue that you really you really have to think about. And the other thing I'm concerned about is, I, you know, I, I, I'm concerned about corruption. I'm, I'm concerned about when this gets so loose, and particularly when it can involve college sports, my concern, that's where my concerns lie, that it becomes corrupted. You know, that there's what, a is there it already? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I, I right. Think, you know. what, what about the illegal black market in gambling yeah. that's existed all along? Yeah. Well, uh, so what you're saying is that you, this would be, the state would be involved in that and could correct it. They're getting a cut. Yeah, they're getting a cut. Getting but, a cut. Well, then, and then I guess, of course, everybody who does it on their phone, just like Facebook, Twitter, and everything else, should know that every single thing that they're doing is being monitored right. by a lot more people when it's on your phone, actually, mm -hmm. probably, than Twin Rivers that ha or anywhere else. So if you're being smart about this and you don't want someone to know how much you're gambling, you probably don't want to do it on your phone. You can argue that it will affect worker productivity if they're doing it in the middle of the day at work, but so many people are on Facebook in the middle of the day at work, I'm not sure there's a huge difference. I do think that there's some privacy concerns. There's a lot of things that people don't understand, and I think take it one step at a time. Let's see how legalized sports betting goes in its current fashion, and if it needs to get expanded to phone use, then expand it later if you know that you can keep it under control. This comes back to the budget issue. Uh, gambling revenue is something that politicians love as a way to get revenue. They without, built it in without, before the Supreme Court right, decision. Yeah. Right. right, and you know this could be a $50 million bump in uh, revenue for the state. Dominic Ruggiero and Governor Raimondo are on board with this. I expect the state will legalize mobile betting in 2019. And the state has taken the position that as long as the servers to process the mobile betting are at an existing gambling facility like Twin River, it does not require voter approval. And yes, there will be, it is reasonable, as Dave said, to be concerned about the effect on problem gamblers when betting is as close as your mobile phone, but I think we are slouching in that direction. All right, uh, much hand-wringing over the last month since the uh, RICAST results came out. Uh, a lot of we need to do better, we need to do better. Victor Capion, I spoke to this week, I was filling in on talk radio, he's the superintendent in Central Falls. He said they're already talking about a pilot program to extend the, the, the school day by an hour. So that's something concrete. But these, you know, you wonder, there's, there is the hand-wringing, but what are we doing practically, Maureen, to get at the problem? Well, the thing is, I have some concerns because we know from the scores, all right, we know that we're, it's abominably low and we have to do something about that. Now, right after this, these information came out, when you talk to uh, Mattiello and when you talk to Governor Raimondo, she said, well, all this takes time. It's going to take time to reform the system. Okay. Two days later, we hear that there's this whole new comprehensive system that's out there that doesn't depend on the scores and the standardized tests, but other things that are important like absenteeism, graduation rates, and so forth. And I'm wondering... Is this like a deflection from keeping your eye on the ball, which, the, which is we've got to raise these scores, we have to have comparable measures mm -hmm. to figure out how students are doing? 
And so I'm a little concerned that, you know, what happens is, uh, like the last time, there was all sorts of problems about graduation and standards and so forth, and they fired Deborah Gist. They got rid of her. Mm -hmm. So that was a deflection, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm just wondered, I think it's great that Victor's coming up with this because it, it pushes the urgency of doing something, not taking your time. And I think we should try to do all of this when we can, but I think we have to remember that the real ball game are the scores and uh, the comparability, and we have a standard, and we have to stick to it. I've got a, uh, an addendum to that. Uh, when I read these comments about uh, some of the state leaders were saying, we need to do this thoughtfully, and we need to take our time to do this, what in the hell have we been doing for the last 25 or 30 years? Uh, going back to Deborah Gist and all of that, now she had her, her uh, 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 you know, people who loved her and people who didn't. The concern that I have is, We've got a, a remarkable example of education right next door. It's called Massachusetts. It seems to me that what they ought to do is they ought to take a really good look at that and start implementing what they're doing. They've figured it out. It did take them a while to do it. They started, I think, in 1992 or 1993. Let's not try to reinvent the wheel. Let's look at what they've done. Let's figure out if, if, if there's a good fit. Let's start implementing that because if we wait 15, 20, or 25 years, that really impacts our economy. It impacts the future for the kids that we, that we teach here. You go right down the line. It, it, I would argue that the educational system in Rhode Island is probably the biggest issue that we face. Forget taxes and all that. Right, and to draw Th corporate this people affects in. affects everybody, including new business. Do you have a final thought on that? Well, I just think we have to be careful about comparing ourselves to Massachusetts because a lot of that is driven by the Boston Corridor and elite universities, a lot of elite, high-skilled people who have children who populate neighborhoods with public schools. Then you go way out to the western part of Massachusetts, you go into areas like Lowell or even Worcester, and you find the scores drop quite a bit. So a lot of that is a bit distorted by the Boston Corridor. And for Rhode Island, I think if, if English is not your native language and you're taking a test that was written by people who grew up speaking English, thinking conceptually that way with language, it is going to be a more difficult test. So we have to pay attention to language differences. Mm -hmm. How do we educate people who aren't native born in the United States? And Rhode Island has a higher population of that in our, in our children. So adapting to the population, I think, is a really important part of figuring out test scores that are not built for the population that they're testing. Okay. To be continued. Let's go to Outrageous. Dave, what do you have this week? Actually, my outrage, I, I just gave it to you. Mm -hmm. That was, that was going to be my outrage. Would you like to elaborate on your outrage? <laughs> no, no, I think I've done enough of that. Um, uh, I, I do have a backup, and I'll be quick about it. I'm just absolutely outraged by what the president has done this week with, uh, with our activities in Syria. Uh, I see a president who's just really crumbling. I see an infra I, I, This is like an iceberg that you're watching just crumble and crumble and crumble going into the water. And uh, this, we are in a real tragic situation with the way this is unfolding and the way he is behaving as a U.S. president. I am just embarrassed by what he has done, and I'm concerned about this country because of the way he's behaved as a U.S. president. I, I cannot imagine anything other than a Saturday Night Live skit that would portray somebody like this. We actually have the real thing, and that is a tragedy. Right. Wendy, what do you have this week? Mine's local. Um, going back to the speed cameras installed everywhere, particularly Providence, 
So it's is that not why just, you were late this morning? No. You were driving slow? No. Yes. Um, the, it's not just school districts, school zones, and everything. It's hospital zones. And then they don't have good enough signage. So they don't really put the speed limit up. They don't say you have to stop before you make a red, the right turn. They, they put it right before. They do things. And people in the most distressed areas, people are worried. They're nervous. They're going to the hospital for testing. You know, these are the kinds of things. Just if, can't we find a way to be more civil about trying to raise money for the city, at least city of Providence? And I just think it's a hidden state thing. People don't know there are the cameras. People don't pay attention. And then people have to pay $50, $85, $100. And I just think that's just, you know, figure out some other way. Of, of figuring the budget problem in Providence. I must say, I was coming up the hill to Hope, uh, Hope Street because I was trying to get to the east side, right. and all of a sudden I saw that camera. They must have more footage of people hitting their brakes. Because yes. <laughs> I was like, you know, but then and the it's tooth a school zone, out of the 20 tube. miles an hour. Exactly. I can't go 20 something. in my driveway, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> so truth, truth be told, disclosure, have we gotten any tickets in the Schiller household? Or? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I think, and I'm fortunate that I, it w it's not something that would break my weekly. I mean, I feel fortunate about that, but I feel for a lot of people who are in the same situation going to the hospital and then they're worried and they're, they don't, they can't pay that ticket quite as easily. And I don't think Mayor Lorza should be making money off the backs of those people. Well, the, my only thing is I get it for the hospitals. Okay. But you know, when you're in a school area, you should be driving slow. And I mean, you should know that. I'm not sympathetic with per people that get tickets. I don't care if they get enough warning or not. When you're going into school, there should area. be plenty of signage, and that's right. actually what Massachusetts does much better. Massachusetts has multiple signs. Well, let's signs. look to Massachusetts again. Right, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you, but let's have more than one sign, right? right when you're coming so, up the hill. So if right? we put up more signs, it would be okay. I think it would be at least more responsible, so that everybody knows, and signs in English and Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Maureen, what do you have? Mine is, um, this. one of the good things that happened this week uh, is the possibility it's gotten out of the Senate is criminal justice reform. They're doing that, and it, it seems like the president's going to sign it. It seems like it's going to go. It is a well, it also seemed like we weren't going to pull out of Syria. I know, I know, but we didn't. All right. So, but the point is, we finally, after years, we finally got people to sign on to this in, in terms of looking at criminal justice in a more sophisticated way in understanding short-term throw the book at them doesn't work and you're incarcerating people etc cetera, etc cetera. my outrage is in this state the ACLU left put out a, 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 a brief that indicates that we have criminalized over a hundred more behaviors and we've in initiated more draconian kinds of penalties like if you sell someone some cocaine, a kid sells someone some cocaine on a street corner, and then if you go out and that person, you know, gets killed, this kid goes to life. I mean, my outrage is that we're moving in the wrong direction, and I only hope our new our attorney general-elect will take a better look at this and, you know, more in line with where criminal justice reform is going. All right. Ian, what do you have? My outrage is the flouting by some public officials in Rhode Island of the state's open records law. We see this week in, we saw this in how the Providence Journal reported this week how it had to fight for months to get an arrest report from Cranston police involving the arrest of a state official earlier this year. Arrest reports are public records. There's no... You begin with that and then 
then you roll it back right. to what's withheld, right? Exactly. There's no gray there. And despite that, the journal had to fight for months to get this arrest report. The accusations in this case were very similar to an earlier incident involving the state official. And Peter Kilmartin, despite the flouting of the law by Cranston police, decided not to issue a complaint against them. Attorney General-elect Peter Nerona tells me he will take a more aggressive approach toward enforcing the state's open records law. So that's a good thing. Yeah, and the games they play are, oh, we don't have a record responsive to your request. You might ask for overtime. If they don't have it on a sheet of paper, they say, oh, sorry, they can't move to put that together. So that's some of the games that we play as reporters. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. And did you talk with him? Was Did he indicate that Nerona that he was going to yes. move in that direction? He said his office will emphasize to in training city and town officials that they should err on the side of releasing more information rather than holding it back when reporters and news organizations make requests for public records. So that's a good thing. Okay. That is all the time for we have this week. A programming note, folks. Come back next week. It's one of our favorite shows of the year. We will have this very same panel back for our year in review and our predictions for 2019. And just so you know, we hold the panel accountable for their predictions for this year. So come back. We've got all of that for you next week. We appreciate you joining us. Ian and Wendy and Maureen and Dave, nice to have you here. We'll see you back here next week. And we hope to see you back here next week also. We hope you have a great Christmas. Hope you had a good Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. We'll be back here next week as a lively experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, A Lively Experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. 